It's great to be with you this morning. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I am Bill Opperman. I'm the youth pastor here at the church, and to have an opportunity to do this every once in a while. How many people there out there would say they don't know me? Anybody? Okay, good. I don't know you either, but I'd like to get to know you. All right. I uh, would say that, again, we've been here a long time together doing this together, and it's exciting to be, again, hanging out with you, asking God's uh, uh, presence and, and peace in this place. I want to just say to you that uh, one of the things that I need most in my life is good advice. I don't, I don't know if you can relate to that at all about the whole idea of needing good advice, but I have uh, things in my office that are constant reminders of, of good advice. I have a, a quote by Vince Lombardi that says, the will to prepare to win is more important than the will to win. And I find that to be really helpful to me. I've got kind of a, a Shakespearean little thing up on my uh, wall in my office it says, it says that, uh, well, again, I just lost that. It, it says that, that the, uh, I'm going to go to the next one, sorry. The one thing I guess that just really moves me is what's on my desk that says uh, from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Now, that's the kind of advice that we all need all the time. And I, and I think of different kinds of advice that people give and get, and I think of, you know, advice that I've had a few coaches give me. And I, and I thought about a coach that gave me advice one time that he said to me, you know, I was down on the ground, I had been hurt, and he said, hey, just walk it off. And I thought to myself, dude, seriously, if I could walk it off, I wouldn't be laying here hurting. <laughs> I, I remember uh, uh, another time when a coach just said, you know, rub some dirt on it. <laughs> I'm thinking, is it possible that maybe that could uh, cause an infection? Uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And then there's like, you know, people today, I don't know if you've seen this around, but a lot of people have life coaches. I had a life coach, mom, uh, you know. And, and again, some of the advice that mom, I've got to be honest, my mom gave me awesome advice. I mean, amazing advice. But some of the advice she gave me, you know, I don't know if it was all that great. Like, you know, the time that she would simply just say, you be careful. Now, again, I always found out that that came a little bit too late. It was when I was walking, you know, through the room, and I stubbed my toe. Oh, honey, be careful. It was a little, you know, five seconds ago, that would have been great. That would have been sweet advice five seconds ago. This time, really, not so much, you know. I, I remember, again, this was one of those crazy situations where I was walking to the house one day, and, and Mom basically, you know, she says, just be yourself. And then she added, don't do anything stupid. Yeah, I'm thinking, seriously, are you kidding me? I, I don't know. There was a, there was a quote that uh, I was a big procrastinator, a quote that, that I could really relate to because it, it kind of worked into my, my whole personal self-image thing. And it, one of the quotes that said this, it says, you know, the early bird may catch the worm, but the second mouse gets the cheese. <laughs> so I always thought it wasn't so bad to be a little bit late, right? Um, and here's the deal, right? We all need mentors. We all need life coaches. And, and I, I think about the fact that I could have used a mentor and a life coach just this last week. My wife, Donna, had surgery. She had a uh, thumb replacement in, in a bone, actually, on her right hand. And so she, they capped the both ends of the, put a little ball on each end. So hopefully in the next six weeks, she's going to be able to use her thumb again. We're excited about that. But so she's been kind of like, you know, held up in the house. She hasn't been able to, you know, get out and do things because she can't drive. She can barely do anything with her right hand. And I came home from work uh, just last Tuesday, and she'd already been in the house about five days, just feeling really cooped up. 
And kind of in a desperate thing, she said, uh, she said I'm just going so stir-crazy. I just can't stand, stand being in this house anymore. Well, I just said, oh, well, at least it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> I know now, right? I definitely should not have said that. I, I, I could have used a life coach. And then I went golfing. I... I <laughs> Okay, so seriously, how many men have said something stupid to their wives? Okay. Okay, the rest of you are lying. All right. I, I, I want to show you a real quick clip of something that this might be helpful to you guys at this time. It's a clip by Tim Hawkins, Things You Should Not Say to Your Wife. So here we go. <laughs> Okay, so I hope that was a little bit helpful to some of you men. Uh, if you ever have the problem like I have of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time, keep that in mind. You know, the Bible's full of great advice. And I don't know if you've looked at it lately or you go through it a lot, but it is. It's full of great advice. And one of the greatest advice givers uh, in the Scripture is a man by the name of Paul. Now, Paul, he wrote 13 of the 66 books of the Bible. So he obviously has a lot of things to say about uh, faith and about teaching and about service and, and really giving us advice. Now, for those of you that might not know Paul very well, Paul uh, was a religious Jewish leader who did not like Christians at all. Paul was a guy who went out there and, and, and was deciding that he was going to persecute Christians because they were going against, it was against Judaism, it was blasphemy really. And then he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ and it changed absolutely everything in his life. This morning I'm going to focus on, on two letters that Paul wrote to a guy by the name of Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, you can find Timothy. It's about this far in the back of your Bible, right? I've always said that if you can find one of the T books, you find them all. It's Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. And these uh, letters that were written 
specifically to Timothy were written from Paul. Paul was Timothy's mentor. He was an encourager. He was basically his life coach. I, I think of, and it's interesting that Paul was a, a guy who really was a truth teller. He was, a, he was a man who, even though it may have seemed offensive at times to people that were following him, he, he told the truth. And I look at that and, and realize that sometimes that's really, truly what we need. After Paul's conversion from Judaism to Christianity, he became obsessed. He became obsessed with, with sharing the good news of justification through faith in Jesus Christ. He wanted the world to know. He wanted the world to know this great Jesus that changed his life. And the reality was he started planting churches all over Asia Minor with the ultimate goal of getting to Rome. Now, he figured that Rome was the center of the world. And if you could convert Rome, you could convert the world. Change Rome, change the world. And he got there, but I got a feeling he didn't get there exactly as he had planned. The reality was he was jailed by the Jews for preaching the gospel. Now, the great thing is that Paul was a Roman citizen, so as being a Roman citizen, he was able to appeal to Caesar, and so he actually was taken to Rome to be uh, going before Caesar in this, this whole matter of what he was doing that was so offensive to the Jewish leaders. And so as he was there as a prisoner in Rome, he wrote letters from prison, and First and Second Timothy were two of those letters. Paul had established church, a church in Ephesus, and he left Timothy there to be the pastor of that church while he went on to establish new and more churches. First, Timothy, first and second Timothy were personal, and they were practical letters written to give advice to a young pastor. The great thing is, see, when we read first and second Timothy, we have an opportunity to kind of get in on the inside of what was going on in the church at that time. One of the first bits of advice, of great advice, that Paul gave to Timothy was found in 1 Timothy 4.12. And it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Paul knew that Timothy might not be respected simply because of his age. You know, it's interesting that some things never change in the world. Perception, culturally, I've said, is more important than truth. Now, truth is ultimately the most important thing. But so often in our culture, perception is more important than truth. And the way to combat this perception, Paul was telling Timothy, was to live a life of a transformed example. Being the kind of example was going to take, you know, an awful lot of effort, and it was going to take divine intervention. Paul knew what ministry trials looked like, and he wanted Timothy to know uh, that he was going to face and what he was going to find when he was in ministry. It says this in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, treacherous, rash, conceited, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. See, there's this battle between the godly nature and human nature. I want to take a look at godly nature. Again, 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, right, set an example for the believers 
in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And then it goes on in, in Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, because this is the fruit of that godly nature. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And again, the human nature is all those things that we talked earlier about, being boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient and ungrateful and unholy, all of those things. That is human nature. It's been going on from the beginning. When he talked about the fact that this was going to happen in the end times, it is still the end times, and it's continuing to go on and on and on. This is what we have a tendency to bring to the table, as opposed to saying, what does God want for me? Paul's warning Timothy here about church attenders in his church in Ephesus. See, people were impacted by the Roman culture, right? That Roman culture was, was amazing. If you've done any history in, in world history, you know that the Roman culture was, was brutal at times. You know, they brought hedonism, that love of pleasure. They, they brought in materialism, that love of money. They, they brought in Epicureanism, that love of food. Sounds a lot like us, right? Sounds an awful lot like us. But really, it's simple human nature. And the problem with some of the congregation there in Ephesus is that they had a form of godliness, but they denied its power. They had a form of godliness, but they denied godliness power. Two words that stand out here in this passage for me are form and power. First, what does it mean that they had a form of godliness? You see, a form, right, it's kind of like a facsimile. It's not exact. It's almost, but it's not the real deal. I got to believe that these people in this church, they were attending church, they, they believed in something. And after all, they went to church, they had Christian friends, they didn't smoke and they didn't chew and they didn't go with girls that do, you know. They, they had a small group that they were a part of and they sang in the choir and they helped the needy and, but inside, right? Inside, their heart was still, still full of of the fact that they loved themselves and they loved money and they were boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient and ungrateful and rash and conceited and unforgiving and lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So these people had a tendency at times, right? They were most often religious but not really spiritual. A great example of a religious person who's not really spiritual was, was one of the Pharisees or religious leaders at the time who, it talks about this in Matthew 22, that he went after Jesus and tried to trap Jesus, right? And wanted to know if he could say, what was the greatest commandment of the Ten Commandments? Now, again, really, are you smart to think, okay, Jesus wrote them. (laughs) I think he had a clue. What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, here's the deal. I can wrap it all up in two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, that's what it really comes down to, right? This act, this obedience to God's Word is about loving God and loving people. So secondly, what is godliness power? Well, most people, I really believe that they they think that God's power is really all about miracles. We're going to see a phenomenal miracle. Now, I'm, I'm so amazed when miracles happen in different places, and I love the stories of miracles in the Bible, but I think most people believe that 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 really is the manifestation of God's power is a miracle, or, or as we saw in the last couple of weeks, you know, the rapture, that, 
that that was going to be the big miracle. It was going to get everybody on the edge of their seat, and everybody was going to be, okay, really, I'm ready to go. Let's go. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't need a timetable. We're not going to do a countdown. I, I, I think that people are looking for something like very supernatural. If you were to read ahead, which I'm not going to do right now, but in 2 Timothy 3.8, it talks about a supernatural encounter between Moses and two of Pharaoh's magicians. They're looking for something supernatural, kind of a, a magical thing, something Shazam, right? I mean, but what is it really? What is godliness power? Well, Romans 1.16 says this. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, the gospel is the power of God. It's transformation by salvation through the gospel. When you see transformation, it means something has changed. I don't know if any of you watch The Biggest Loser, right? I mean, we always watch that. And, and I, I'm thinking about The Biggest Loser, and they talk about it in the commercials that you're going to see an amazing transformation. It's this, it's this once was, was large becomes smaller, more healthy. You see, when you see transformation, it normally always takes work and blood and sweat and tears and discipline. See, what God wants is an external transformation, but spiritual, internal transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So I think about in light of that, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to change the way you think in the process of transformation. God does the work. God changed your life. It's our job to think differently as we walk through the world. See, after salvation, our life is not about impressing God. And I think so many spend so, so many people spend so much time trying to impress God. They're out, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to, you know, all these things that they're going to find some way to impress God, but inside they haven't changed. Our life, our life needs to be a life that is spent you know, loving and impacting people because of God through the gospel, through this good news. See, this gospel is the power that so many people deny. They had a form of godliness, but they denied its power. This gospel is that power. 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says, We know that when we have come to know him, if we obey his commands... The man who says, I know him, but does not do what his command says is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Get, get this, John 15, 16. This is so cool. You did not choose me, Jesus said. I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last. See, this transformation and this transformed life, it truly changes everything about us. It, it produces good fruit. I want to quickly tell you a story about my dad. 
My dad was born in 27. My dad was born into a house uh, in the Depression. He uh, lived a, uh, a rough life. They had five brothers that uh, my grandparents were raising, and one of the brothers was killed by two boys in the neighborhood. There was four brothers left. My grandparents were alcoholics, and they divorced. And my dad, at 15, was told, here's the deal. I can't take care of you boys anymore. You're the youngest. You need to go. I'll give you a one-way ticket anywhere in the country that you want to go to. Now, my dad was born in Radville, Saskatchewan, which was a tiny little town where they produced a lot of wheat, and then they, they shipped it out by rail. And so dad thought, well, I'll choose the biggest city I've ever heard of, and he took a, a one-way ticket at 15 years of age, and he went to Toronto. He got off the train, got a newspaper, looked for rooms for rent, circled a room for rent, found his way into the suburbs of Toronto, and went to the door and knocked. A man came to the door by the name of Bruce Fogarty. Bruce Fogarty was a businessman who lived in Toronto and worked in Toronto, and took him into his home. 15-year-old showing up at the door and need a room for rent. So dad goes in. They lived with him for a year before at one night sat at a kitchen table and dad gave his life to Christ. Bruce Fogarty, a great Christian man. Again, I look at this and I'm saying, okay, what was going to happen to his life? Oh, I'm telling you, it was absolutely, radically transformed. He became a street preacher at, 50, at 16 years old in Toronto, went on to Bible school, and I, and I look at this and I'm thinking, you know, Dad had every reason to be a victim of his environment and his culture and genetics. He should have been an abusive father. He should have been a bad husband. You know, he, he should have been angry. He should have been all of those things. But he encountered Jesus, and transformation happened because it changed the way he thought. And really, his heart was able to follow what he was thinking Spiritual transformation is more powerful than earthly influence. You know, I look at, at my dad's accomplishments, a loving father and husband. I had a couple pictures I wanted to show you, and these are just from, you know, when I was really little. So it had a big impact on me. Here's dad with our cat, Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> and, you know, I look at the next picture, and, and I, I think of, you know, a time where a loving father. He never had one. Never had one. Um, next picture. Uh, just again, the opportunity to, to be influenced. Kind of amazing. Next picture. Our, our family, my, my brother, my sister in the back, and my other sister uh, hiding, my mom. Um, this was when, when dad took off and, and uh, went to Africa to preach the gospel. And I look at this and I'm thinking, again, for a guy who really had nothing, what he found was Jesus Christ, and it absolutely impacted and changed the world. He became a missionary. He became a pastor. He became a college president. He was a visionary, a church planter, a role model, a mentor. But really what he became was an influencer. He influenced men. Um, obviously, our family was hugely impacted. My dad, in, in, uh, when he was in Peru, had a huge encounter with uh, the 
the president of Peru, and they had a great relationship together, and they wanted to change things and, and uh, had an opportunity to uh, impact thousands and thousands of people in Peru. In fact, the church, about uh, 12 years ago, I was able to go down and preach in the church that my dad had established in our living room in Peru and preached to 9,000 people at the one service, and it was, it was so exciting for me to be in that place. But this was the amazing part. They treated dad like royalty even though he didn't want it to happen. And so there was a line waiting to shake his hand, and when that line got too big, people came to shake our hands to say thank you for who your dad was. It was amazing. I mean, it was one of the most amazing things that had ever happened to me. When we were growing up, I, did, I just didn't even have a clue about this, but, but Dad had a relationship uh, with Pope Paul VI. He uh, met with him eight times. They, they talked Christian strategy. <laughs> they shared the gospel with each other. It was very interesting, the relationship that he had with people. Here's this boy who could have been so bad, so wrong, but was transformed by the renewing of his mind. I look at this and, and say, you know, this is the, the verse that he lived. It's 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You know, here's the deal. Bruce Fogarty, the man that led my dad to Christ, changed not only our family, but really, literally thousands of families. Your transformation can have the same kind of impact. You know, Timothy was impacted by a mom and a grandma. In Acts 16, 1, it says, it says, He came to Derby, then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And then in 2 Timothy 1, 5, Paul is obviously writing to Timothy, and he says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So you don't have to be a world impactor to impact the world. You can be a faithful mom. You can be a faithful grandma. You can be a faithful dad. You know, this mom, this grandma helped shape the entire early church movement, and i got to believe they didn't even know it. My dad was influenced and transformed by a businessman in Toronto. Again, his influence impacted thousands. I want to introduce you to... Uh, a new kid in town <laughs> whose life has been transformed and by the same spirit that changed Paul and Timothy and Dad and me and many of you. His name is uh, Baron Batch. Baron Batch is a running back picked in the seventh round, the last choice of the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 2011 NFL draft. I'm hoping there's a season so we might get to see him play. I want to show you this video. I think it's pretty profound.
transformation. It was not one of those things you wake up and your legs heal and I start dancing around and I say, God, you healed me. It wasn't one of those. Oh man, after that, things got, things got harder after that. But slowly, things started to change in my life. I said, God, I know I'm a screw up. I know I'm a screw up. You know I'm a screw up. I understand that, that you gave me these talents and these abilities and I spit on them. I spit all over them. I disrespected the things that you gave me and, and tried to claim them for, for myself to bring glory for me. And I remember the first time I put back on my cleats and went back out to play. The feeling that I had knowing that the only reason I was out there was because God put me back out there. To me, Jesus dying on the cross is the ultimate act of love and the ultimate act of obedience. That's why when I score touchdowns, I don't, I don't pound my chest anymore. I don't pound my chest or, or point to my jersey so people can see my number or the name on the back of my jersey. I don't do, I don't do it. All I can do every time I get in the end zone is point up. Point up and say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, because you are so, 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 so faithful. You were faithful when, when I wasn't. You were faithful when I laughed at you. You were faithful when I said I didn't want to have a part of you. But yet somehow you turned all of that into a powerful testimony. I have two scars on my ankle, on the left and right side. And uh, I think that God gives us scars sometimes to, to remind us where we've been, and more importantly, that, that He's healed us. And then once we have those scars, we can show people and, and say, look, this is what God's done for me. My name is Baron Batch, and I am second. Baron inf influenced by two kids on the team that he didn't even know, two Christian guys. And I think, you know what? <clears throat> that transformation comes because of a decision that we make, but it comes because of people living a life of an example in front of us and sharing the goodness of Jesus Christ. So you've got to look at that and say, am I, am I putting God second or am I second? You know, when I, when I look at that and I'm saying, are we conformed or are we transformed? I know that our culture is tough. I know there's tons of things that we see and do and are part of that make us want to conform to the image of this world. I get it. But we have to have a renewed mind and be transformed because that's the only way it's going to make an impact on this planet. It all boils down to two things. Love God and love people. I encourage you to not be selfish 
like it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but to be selfless like Jesus. And to be that person in speech, love, life, faith, and purity. To be the one that is the impactor of many. Here's the deal, right? We can walk out of here and do our church thing, right? It's all good. But I am praying that God will speak to our hearts, mine and yours, to say that in every encounter that we have, whether it's with family, whether it's with friends, people on our ball teams, whatever, if we are truly, truly convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and that we've accepted Christ as our Savior, it will impact what you say and what you do. And you'll know. You'll know. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind because of this great gospel, which is the power of God to all who believe. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Uh, I thank you for your word and how it impacts our lives. And Lord, I, I just pray that today, as we go from this place, that you would be glorified and that you would, you would be one who uh, sees us to make decisions mentally that would transform who we are. God, I thank you for your word and how powerful it is, and I pray that it would speak to us. But I, I ask you to do these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I just want to leave you with this. From Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, but you, people of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made that great confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you, to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and give you peace. God bless you as you go this morning.